Ryder and Nystrom. Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-card. Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. But just a minute, Al Arbor has won mm -hmm. four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. Welcome back to Coliseum Chronicles, The Penalty Box. I am your host, Joe Lazito. Episode 41. I can't believe I've done 41 of these things. Um, it's pretty cool, actually. You know, and uh, there's some trials and tribulations that go along with doing a show and trying to get guests and uh, the like. But... Uh, it's been fun for the most part. I really enjoy doing it, which is why I continue to do it. And um, and uh, lately, I've been getting a lot of really positive feedback, uh, especially on the Graham Townsend episodes. Thank you to everyone who has uh, let me know how much they've enjoyed it. I will pass along all your kind words to Graham. Uh, Graham was an unbelievable guest. And, um, you know, I, I just all I can say is um, for someone like Graham, I think it's really important that his voice is heard because um, I think with a lot of the topics that he touched on, uh, it's just easy for people to follow the herd, um, not try to upset the apple cart, maybe not have an opinion of your own. Um, and I think Graham is definitely not afraid to voice his opinion. And I believe it was the last episode. I said uh, a person like Graham Townsend's voice should be a lot louder than someone like myself and uh, most other people, as he's experienced a lot of it firsthand. So I um, just want to thank Graham again. That was uh, was an unbelievable interview uh, with him. And uh, I would look for Graham to do a lot more shows um, because that's a message that really needs to get out there, and especially once his book comes out. Uh, I don't think he started writing it yet, uh, you know, officially. Maybe he's written down some notes or something like that. I don't know, but... I think once his once his book comes out, I think he's going to make the rounds on a lot of uh, different podcasts and uh, regular terrestrial radio and television because that's uh, a pretty important message he's, he's uh, trying to get out there. So thank you again, Graham. So like I said, this is episode 41. If this is your first time listening, welcome. I'm very happy to have you. It's always nice to get new listeners. Uh, please tell your friends if you enjoy the content. And if you're returning, welcome back. I must be doing something right if you're giving me another try or if you're a regular listener. So uh, I really appreciate you uh, coming back again. So if you have a few moments, if you wouldn't mind, please subscribe to the show on whatever platform you're listening to it on. That would be great. Helps me out. And uh, if you could like, rate, and review the show, 
that would be great also. It all has something to do with the algorithms. I used to say I have to look it up. I'm not looking it up. I'm not, I'm not even going to lie anymore. Uh, I'm not looking it up. I just know that uh, the more reviews, the more ratings, the more subscriptions. Uh, it just helps the show. And I think if people are looking for certain podcasts and they just put hockey in or something like that, that uh, the show will pop up. So that would definitely help me out. And um, I, I don't... Uh, I appreciate you taking the time to listen and I won't ask you for much more of your time uh, by doing something like subscribing and rating and stuff like that. But if you could, that would be awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you. If you're on Twitter, uh, my personal Twitter account is at Joe underscore Lozito and the Twitter account for the show is at Kali Sinbin pod. Uh, please go ahead and follow me on Twitter. I will follow you back. Like I said, like I've said a million times, the, Hey, follow my account. And then you go to the account. They have 70,000 followers and they're following eight people. I don't get that. But uh, if you're going to take an interest in my account, I'm definitely going to take an interest in yours. So, uh, so give me a follow and I will reciprocate in kind. Facebook, facebook.com slash Coliseum Chronicles podcast. Now, if you're uh, on Twitter, the uh, stuff from the show Twitter will be most of the same stuff that's on the Facebook. It's it's uh, basically um, the show. It's the show's Facebook page. So I'll have um, Islander Enforcer birthdays, Islander Enforcer photos, um, various things related to Islanders Enforcers. And what I've been doing the last few weeks is putting up old photos of myself that I found with Islanders Enforcers and uh, Enforcers around the world of hockey. Uh, Recently, I've posted a few from about 10 years ago with some flyers and some Islanders, and I found others that are definitely from maybe the mid to late 90s, which is a long time ago. I had hair not just on my chin in those pictures, and uh, it was it was a bad salad back then, that's for sure. But um, it's all fun stuff. It's nothing political, none of that garbage that you're getting on all your other friends' uh, Facebook feeds. So give that a follow. If you have a page, I'm more than happy to follow that also. Uh, similarly to the content you find on the Twitter, Kali Sinbin Pod Twitter page, and the Facebook page is the Instagram, Coliseum underscore Chronicles underscore podcast. Same thing, all content regarding the show. Um, picture, obviously on Instagram, it's pictures, but uh, pictures and things like that, I guess. So uh, it's, it's like I said, anything on the social media platforms, uh, if you follow me or whatever, uh, follow, you know, friend, whatever it is, follow friend, uh, I will do the same back for you. Uh, why not help each other out, right? I have merchandise. Yes, I do. I have an amazing logo and uh, I love it. And uh, I put it on merchandise, shirts, hoodies. Uh, if you're in Saskatchewan, uh, bunny hugs. Uh, not that many people are going to need them now, but tank tops, uh, leggings for the ladies. There's totes, there's socks, there's masks, there's phone cases. You can get all the Coliseum Chronicles, the Penalty Box podcast merchandise at teespring.com slash stores slash Coliseum hyphen Chronicles hyphen merch. Now, that's a lot to digest. So why don't you just scroll down to the uh, episode description on the platform you're listening to, and you will see a direct link to the store, and uh, you could just click that. I don't believe it's I, I believe well, 
This is, you're probably listening to this on the seventh. It might be too late for Christmas stuff. I I'm not sure. Honestly, that's up to Teespring. I don't know how they handle their stuff, so I don't want to tell you. You'll get stuff in time for Christmas. Hopefully, on the site, it will tell you that uh, all that stuff is out of my hands. So I don't know. I don't want to make any empty promises that I can't keep. Now, if you've been listening, I've been doing listener exclusive discounts, twenty uh, percent off. This week's code, uh, let's see, this week's code, um, you know, the other day I went to uh, the Islander team store and I saw Barry Trotz was there. So why don't we make this week's code Barry, B-A-R-R-Y is the code this week. So for one week on the Coliseum Chronicles the penalty box online store if you use the code barry you'll get 20% off any of the items in the store when you go to that store and you see the merchandise you're going to say that's a great logo that joe can draw you're right that joe can draw just not this joe joe marisich local long island artist famous on all social media He's been doing a lot of stuff now with the Cohen family, the guy that just bought the Mets. He's been uh, he's a big Mets fan, so he's been drawing a lot of the uh, the Cohen family I'm seeing on his social media. So uh, you've seen his stuff. You definitely have. And um, if you want to get in touch with Joe, Joe is available for hire at GraphicsJoker on Twitter or LoudEgg.com. Check out Joe's stuff. He is really amazing. Now, Thanksgiving just passed. Everybody uh, stuffed their faces, myself included. Christmas is coming up. You know you're going to do it again. Maybe it's time to get try to get into shape before Christmas, and then you pick up right where you left off after. And if you're on Long Island or in one of the surrounding boroughs, how about Belmore Kickboxing and MMA? Belmore Kickboxing and MMA is Long Island's premier mixed martial arts gym. They're open seven days a week. There are classes for men, for women, for children. Private training sessions are also available. Uh, professional fighters like John Volante, who fought last night, by the way, um, UFC in Vegas 16, I think it was. I'm not sure the number, but uh, it was actually the first MMA fight I've watched in months. And uh, John didn't get the victory. Um, judges uh, scored it 30-27. I would have given it 29-28 myself, but... Uh, you know, John's been at it a long time. John trains at Belmore Kickboxing, as does Gregor Gillespie, Andre Harrison, Chris Algieri, Adam Kalnatchki, and a whole host of others train there. It's a great gym. 2551 Merrick Road, Belmore, New York. Phone number is 516-679-5997. Website is belmorekickboxingmma.com. When you reach out to them, ask for Keith Trimble. Keith is the man. He's one of the owners. I think he's the best trainer in the business. And if you mention that you heard about the gym on this show, you will get one free class. Doesn't have to be for you. Could be for your significant other. Could be for your parents. Could be for your kids, nephews, nieces, whatever. But if you want a free class, let Keith know you heard about the gym on this show. Belmore, kickboxing and MMA train where the champions train. Now, if you enjoy the content on this show, the fight content, there are a few other shows that if you're not already aware of, please check out, although I'm sure you are aware of them. The Fourth Line Voice podcast hosted by my friend Darren in Saskatoon. Uh, he's the guy who started it all. 
and uh, the Enforcer-based podcasting OG. Uh, Darren's latest episode was with someone you've heard me mention, and that's Yuka from Finland. Yuka has been involved in many, many uh, leagues and different countries with hockey and scouting. And uh, I mean, to he really is a jack of all trades. I don't know if he's a master of any, but he's got some pretty amazing stories. And uh, I know he's Finnish and, you know, but uh, trust me. Uh, Yuka is a pretty cool guy, and he's got. I, I was really looking forward. I look forward to all of Darren's episodes, but because I know Yuka, um, I was really looking forward to this episode, and it absolutely 100% did not disappoint. So definitely check that out. And I believe for his uh, next episode, Darren is interviewing uh, Steve Adams. Go look at Steve Adams, Hockey DB. This guy has played in a lot of places in the minors, and. Um, I, from what I gathered, he's got a lot of really great stories. And, you know, I think people gravitate towards the NHLers, but I, I think really the guys in the minors are the ones that have the uh, have the amazing. I mean, everyone's got great stories in hockey. It, it, the sport just lends itself to great stories. But the minor league guys and the bus rides and, and you know, it, depending on the lower minor league, the, the shitty hotels and um, – I, I really enjoy interviewing guys that have spent a good chunk of their career in the minors. And uh, I'm sure I know Darren does too. And uh, I'm pretty sure that Steve Adams is going to have some pretty amazing stories. So that will either be released today. Well, yesterday, Sunday, to, I'm recording on Sunday. So Darren has a new episode on Sundays and Wednesdays. So it could be released today. It could be released next Wednesday. I'm not sure, but definitely look for it. Also, Darren has a YouTube channel, Fourth Line Voice, on YouTube. As I always say, if you have watched a hockey fight on YouTube, chances are it was on Darren's channel. And if you haven't, what are you waiting for? He's got over 2,200 fights on there, so definitely uh, check it out. Making its triumphant return last week is the Five for Fighting podcast hosted by Alec Olin Salen. Alec was gone maybe two or three months. He had a lot of stuff going on, not the least of which was kicking COVID's ass, which he did handily. And uh, Alec has uh, had a new episode released last week. It was a solo episode. And uh, he basically was bringing everybody up to speed on his absence, and he uh, touched on a few other topics. Uh, very entertaining episode and i believe he did say in the episode he has some interviews lined up so i would definitely check out his upcoming episodes i don't know who he will be interviewing but he always does a great job so i would definitely make sure to check that out and if you're on facebook check out alex enforcer appreciation page that is a page that i think is 12 or thirteen thousand members strong always a good variety of stuff there's lots of fight clips on there fight pictures um just, um, it's a cornucopia of fistic enjoyment. I was at a loss for words there, but, uh, it's a great page. And, uh, if you're listening to this show, chances are you like the fighting. I would definitely, uh, definitely check that out. And also he recently started a QSPHL slash LNAH Jersey and equipment page on Facebook. Uh, definitely check that out. I posted my one, um, LNAH Jersey on there. And uh, I I hope the page picks up steam. It seems like um, 
you know, I, I don't know this time of year, Christmas, maybe people aren't uh, focusing on that kind of stuff or uh, whatever, whatever the reason, but these uh, Quebec league jerseys are really awesome. So uh, I would love for that page to get bigger and have people post their stuff on there. It's definitely something I check out more than once a day, along as long with the enforcer appreciation page. So check out Alex show five for fighting podcast check out his facebook pages check out darren's show fourth line voice check out his youtube page you can't go wrong and you know you're on the computer a bunch of times all day anyway you're running errands you're in the car put these podcasts on definitely uh give a listen um you know just because we don't have the following of some of the bigger names it doesn't mean we don't bring you awesome content and i i listen if you know me i'm a pretty humble person and um you know, I always try to deflect credit or whatever, you know, whatever the point is. I, I just, it's just my nature. I'm not one to really pump my own tires, but you know, I take a lot of pride in this show and I know that Alec does. And I know that Darren does. We take a lot of pride in our shows and uh, I think we all deliver great content. So, um, you, uh, there are bigger shows out there in terms of uh, subscribers and listeners, but I'm not, uh, you know, I'll put our shows up against any of them. So definitely, uh, Give the uh, little guys a chance. What is it? Shop small now this um, this season. Shop local, shop small, uh, whatever it is, these hashtags now with the local business stuff. But uh, but give us all a try. Um, so not much really to talk about uh, this week in terms of hockey. Um, I know earlier in the week it was big news. Uh, Evander Kane challenged one of the Paul brothers, the YouTube nerds. I mean, I say that they're, they're, I'm sure they're both millionaires many times over. I don't get it. It's not my generation. I, I don't know, but I guess Evander Kane, he, he trains, he does a lot of boxing training. I've, someone said he's related to Evander Holyfield. I, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I'm not a big Evander Kane fan. I, in terms of, uh, you know, hockey, is he like for 2020, He's tough, but um, I don't know. I think he's the kind of guy that if he played in the 80s or the 90s, gets lost in the shuffle, and I don't know. He he chirps a lot, too. I don't really like that, but uh, I, I, I tell you, I'd like to see these Paul brothers go up against Yannick Turcotte. I've seen some of his boxing training. That guy throws pretty hard hands, pretty quick hands. That's a kid. I would love to see one of these guys go up against Yannick. I think Yannick would destroy them. But uh, I don't know. As much as I, I'm not an Evander Kane fan, if he fought one of these two guys, I would definitely be rooting for him, but from a distance because I wouldn't pay a penny for it. But um, who knows? That that was the bigger story earlier in the week. Um, Matt Martin, uh, no news on Matt Martin and his contract. The Islanders have been... Uh, uh, it looks like most teams are pretty silent right now, and I, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, the owners and the players um, trying to reach an agreement. And if they're going to play, I know there are some owners that don't want to play. Um, I'm sure there are some players that don't want to play, but I know there are, are a bunch of owners that said if they don't play, they'll lose less money than if they do. So uh, I know Gary Bettman, I, I don't really care for him, but I, I will say he seems hell-bent on getting some games in this year. So I do, uh, I do appreciate that. Um, but I, I'm wondering if any team is really going to announce anything or do anything while all this is going on, because um, 
why would you sign someone if you're not even going to play this year? I, I maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe the uh, unrestricted guys are are not being signed now because then they'll be under contract. I don't know. Do they are they paid if there's no season? I have no idea how that works. So maybe that's why. But hopefully uh, the owners and the players will uh, get their shit together. They'll uh, they'll hammer out a deal. There'll be a condensed season, 48 games, 52 games, 56 games. I've seen all those numbers. And uh, like I said, I'm hoping that once that happens, maybe they announce Barzal is signed, and then they announce that Martin is signed. So, uh, But no news on that. But Matt Martin did make news this week. He won his sixth, sixth Bob Nystrom Award. Bob Nystrom Award is a pretty prestigious award with the Islanders, and Matt Martin has won his sixth. And I believe... The previous five were five in a row. So uh, welcome back to where you belong, Matt Martin, winning the Bob Nystrom Award. Congratulations on that. Uh, just a few other things before we uh, before we get started here. And um, I went back to Queens yesterday. So some of you know that I was born and raised in Queens. We went back yesterday as a family. Um, wanted to go see the old neighborhood which we actually ended up not doing because the weather was so shitty but we went to uh, a pizzeria that i grew up on and that's rose's pizza and maspeth food is still amazing uh, my kids like it my wife likes it and uh, i don't need an excuse to go there so that was fun uh, we went to the queen center mall which is eh, I mean, it's a mall. Most of these malls are the same nonsense. And uh, I know my wife likes going, so we did that. And uh, saw, uh, you know, old, uh, I actually was talking to my friend Anthony this week about some of the old movie theaters in Queens that I used to go to. And one of the theaters I brought up was the Elmwood. And uh, I posted a picture of the sign yesterday. I guess the uh, Elmwood was taken over by some church um the rock church or something like that i i don't i don't remember what the picture said but uh it's just uh when i saw the sign i was like oh man that's so cool and you know if you're familiar with it you know that it has the uh stairs on the outside you know the steel stairs i guess it's a fire escape i don't i, I guess and uh you just remember stuff from when you were younger and uh, it was just kind of cool and it was kind of cool to get back there um and just like any other mall of course people don't know how to walk Nobody knows how to say excuse me. So that's the one thing I really haven't missed with being furloughed, uh, going through Penn Station and um, having people walk right towards you. Nobody moves. Nobody says excuse me. So I haven't really missed that, but I did get my fill of it yesterday. And uh, one final thing. Now, I've said before, if you know me, I've talked about it, like how I am just utterly amazed at stuff that I can't do. Uh, when people do these things, it, it just blows my mind. And, uh, you know, when I was younger, we had, um, we had Legos, we had Lincoln Logs, we had stuff like that. And the Legos were, for the time, you know, they were pretty cool. But the stuff they do now with Legos is just unbelievable. And um, yesterday, while we were in the mall, they every time we go to the mall, I do I I go in the Lego store because I some of the, every time I go, it's like more stuff is done, and it's just the stuff that they do now is just insane. And yesterday was the first day that I was like, "Wow, this is yeah, this is fucking amazing." Because unfortunately, the the really cool Lego stuff is really expensive. But um, if I know anybody, if anybody is listening that has a Lego hookup, Lego now makes 
our Lego Roman Coliseum. And that thing is fucking off the charts. Unbelievable. It is sharp. It looks so fucking cool. Now, the flip side of that is it's $550. Now, is it worth it? Sure, if you have that money. I obviously do not have $550 to spend on Lego, even though the finished project is sort of like a, a conversation piece. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know if Andrew would let me do it, but if we ever got that, I think I'd sit it right in the middle of the coffee table in the living room and just let people stare at it and all. It's just so fucking amazing. So if anybody out there is listening that has a hookup with Lego, hook me up, man, because that thing is amazing. But I don't have <laughs> half a grand to spend on Lego. So, uh, but that Lego Coliseum, fucking amazing. So anyway, a uh, little bit shorter uh, uh, intro here than normal because uh, we can get right to the nuts and bolts of the episode today. So today, so the last two weeks, I brought you the Graham Townsend episode. And as I said months ago, I want to try to do an interview and a solo episode alternate. Um, You know, as I've said before, and some of my uh, podcast brethren have said before, trying to book people for interviews every week is a bit daunting. Excuse me. And, um, and it takes some of the fun out of it, to be honest. So I figure if I space out the interviews and I space out, you know, alternate solo shows in between the interviews, uh, it'll become a little more tolerable and um, it, it's just easier for me. And actually, the funny thing is doing the research for the solo episodes is very time consuming. So it's not uh, not mailing it in by any stretch of the imagination. I hope it does, doesn't come across that way because these are very detailed and they're very very time consuming i'm watching the same fight five or ten times it's in some instances just trying to make my description as accurate as possible so um today is a solo episode it is another chapter in my seasons series and today i will bring you the 2005 06 season of one mr eric goddard western league product native of vernon bc so if you're ready to go let's talk some eric goddard so eric goddard always listed around 6'4 around 225 230 like i said from british columbia eric goddard was originally signed as a free agent by the florida panthers which is great for him i think he impressed at a mini camp i don't know it was like a tryout camp and i don't know if it was a panthers tryout camp or if other teams were there but i know that he impressed i think he had three big wins and three fights and um he impressed the panthers and you know he must have done a really good job because at this time and and granted this was the early 2000s and the physical hockey was still a pre, there was still a premium for it and, but Florida had no shortage of toughness so the fact that they made room in their organization for Goddard is really a credit to him so in 2000 2001 uh Florida's American League team was in Louisville Louisville Panthers Joe Patterson was the head coach Gord Deneen was the assistant coach. So right then and there, you know, you got two coaches that appreciate the physical game, appreciate the violence. Um, Joe and Gordy, uh, you know, they were they were physical players. They could also play too. So um, so it's always nice when you have coaches like that that appreciate it. But the like I said, this organization 
had an insane amount of toughness. Now, just on the Louisville Panthers alone, they had Eric Goddard, Brad Ferentz, Rocky Thompson, Brent Thompson, Mike Cirillo, Kyle Rossiter, Lance Ward, Joey Tedarenko, Remy Royer, and John Jacopin. That, and I'm sure all those guys were not on the team at one time, but um, I'm sure you know 80% of them were there the whole season. You know, maybe going up and down the Florida, but um, you may have one or two of those guys maybe going up and down between the American League and the East Coast League, but. Those guys were together pretty much most of the season, so that is a uh, that's a tough squad there. But what happens when you have that much toughness? Goddard's the young kid now, so is he going to play over those guys? You know, some of the guys are defensemen like Brent Thompson, but um, he's not going to play over those guys. So Florida, I guess, seeing that Goddard wasn't playing a lot, I guess they were looking for a place for him to play. So. The uh, the Panthers loaned Goddard to Bridgeport. So in Goddard's first season in Bridgeport, when you look at his stats, he still wasn't Islanders' property at that time. In his first season in Bridgeport, he was still Panthers' property. So when when Bridgeport would play Louisville, for instance, he's playing against guys in his own organization. So if he ends up fighting any of those guys, he's fighting guys that are in the Panthers' organization that you know are basically potential teammates for him. So Goddard's playing for Bridgeport. He's loaned from Florida, and um, he had a very good season. The Islanders were so impressed with Goddard that they traded for him at the 2002 entry draft. They sent a third-round pick to Florida, and the Panthers selected Gregory Campbell with that pick. So, um, again, it's got to be a weird situation. And, and again, it's, um, you know, you play, you play where you are, you know. But I, And listen, I, I would love to get, goddard on the show um i used to speak to him quite a bit when he was here um last time i think i spoke to him might have been 10 years ago 12 uh 8 10 years ago uh when he was with pittsburgh i've tried a few different avenues to reach out to eric and uh, i've had no luck so if anybody listening to this is in contact with eric please pass along to him that i would love to get him on the show and if he's not interested in getting on the show i just still love to uh, reconnect and see how he's doing so um i know that he's out there i know that there are uh friends of his that are pretty active on social media so if any of you guys listen to the show please please let him know i'd love to reconnect with him and i'd also love to get him on the show but um one of the things i would love to ask him is is uh you know, you're you're playing for Bridgeport, and then now the Bridgeport guys become your teammates. But it still has to be weird uh, being part of another organization. Now, you're in Bridgeport, and you're playing with all the Islander minor league guys, but you're still Panthers property. And I don't know. Like, I guess it could be a, a situation where, let's say, Florida calls up a few of those guys, or a few guys get hurt. Do they pull him back, and he goes back to Louisville? It's just I, – I, I'd be interested to hear his um, – Here's thoughts on that, or if he was given any specifics where he would stay in Bridgeport the whole year, regardless, unless he was recalled. I don't know, but um, I would really, uh, I would really love to get uh, get his thoughts on that. So hopefully one day, like I said, if anybody is friends with him that can uh, try to help me out, I'd love to get him here on the show. So uh, during, well, Goddard spent two full seasons at Bridgeport. Uh, one of which was the uh, 0405 lockout season, and he spent parts of two others there. I think Goddard would have spent, if not the entire 0405 season with the Islanders, I think the majority of it. I think 
I think he had a very good chance of making the team that year, but of course nobody played that year in the NHL. So for Goddard's career in Bridgeport, 195 games played, 10 goals, 17 assists, 27 points, 705 penalty minutes in 195 games. That puts him second all-time behind you-know-who, Brett Gallant. Brett Gallant has 857 penalty minutes. There's no chance that record ever gets broken in Bridgeport. Uh, even if he had 500 penalty minutes, I don't think that record. Well, you know what? Yannick Turcotte might break it. He's He could break 500 minutes. Uh, but I don't see Brett Gallant's 857 penalty minutes being broken in Bridgeport. And like I said, Goddard is second with 705. Um, Eric had three preseason fights with Bridgeport, 63 regular season fights, and eight postseason fights, all with Bridgeport. For the Islanders, uh, career numbers with the Islanders, 107 games played, two goals, three assists, five points, 260 penalty minutes, and 34 fights. For his 05-06 season, which is the season we're going to be discussing here today, uh, he played 57 games. Two goals, two assists, four points. So obviously, uh, all most of his points came this season. Most of his Islander career points came this season. He had 115 penalty minutes, and he had 13 fights. Now, he was involved in 14, but in one of those uh, fights, he did not get a fighting major. So that's why he only has 13, even though he was involved in 14. So we'll start running down his fights. Uh, he had two fights in the preseason. First fight was uh, in Boston against Milan Jersina. Now, unfortunately, there is no footage of this fight that I know of. Uh, no television footage, no highlights. I don't know anything that happened. I can't imagine that Milan Jersina really wanted any part of this. And I know that it was initiated by Goddard because Goddard received an instigator, a roughing, and a misconduct. So, um, again, I can't imagine Jersina wanted any of this. Uh, and it probably, you know, all things being fair, based on their um, resume of physical play, uh, this could have been a real big beatdown by Eric Goddard on Jersina. But again, I don't know. And I couldn't find anyone's uh, recollection of the fight. So I don't exactly know what happened here, but I'm going to guess that Goddard had his way with Jersina. Um, almost a week later at Madison Square Garden, Eric Goddard drops the gloves with Dale Purinton. They dropped the gloves along the boards. Uh, well, let me start over. They dropped the gloves along the boards of the center ice red line, and Purinton throws a, a quick right. They wrestle for a bit, and Purinton has the Brashear uh, bear hug going, and that's kind of like when he's got like the underhooks under uh, under Goddard's arms, and uh, then he's got uh, a grip on his jersey from up top, like behind his back. The Brashear uh, does a lot, so he's got that kind of hug going on. Goddard tries to get a little separation and throws a right as they continue to wrestle. Goddard tries to get Purinton's helmet off but fails and follows with three rights, one of which lands to Purinton's face. They wrestle again, and Goddard gets his right loose, rips off Purinton's helmet, and they wrestle to the ice. A conversation ensues, but I can't tell if it's friendly or not, and as they're escorted to the box, Purinton raises his hand. Now, at worst, this is a draw for for the guys at worst for Goddard, this is a draw. I could see someone giving him the decision in this. So I don't know what, uh, I don't know if Purinton was just raising his hand, like for the crowd to get the crowd going, then I could see that. I don't see any way possible. He won this fight. Uh, but listen, you know, 
again, I, I try not to be critical because they're the guys out there doing this. So, um, but it was definitely a case where I don't know what he's doing because he definitely didn't win. I think at best for him, it's a draw, but you know, the home crowd, you get it going and uh, credit to him, you know, fights the Islanders toughest guy trying to get his team going, trying to get the crowd going. So uh, it was just a little weird um, seeing him raise his hand that way. So we move on to the regular season, October 15th, 2005, where in Philadelphia and Goddard takes on Donald Brashear. So they square off at center ice and the Philly crowd erupts. You know, they like fights in Philly. Actually, you know, they like fights everywhere. I don't know. You know, there's a small faction of writers and uh, commentators that would like you to believe that people don't like it and people are fed up with it, but that's just not the case. So as Goddard and uh, Brashear square off, the Philly crowd erupts. Um, Goddard grabs on first, but Brashear lands a quick left. Brashear lands a big left as Goddard lands a big right. Brashear's helmet pops off and Goddard continues throwing. Brashear gets his bearings and they both start throwing Rock'em Sock'em robot style. Goddard's throwing rights, Brashear's throwing lefts. Uh, Once that exchange is over with, Brashear follows up by throwing three or four rapid fire lefts. Goddard's helmet is off at this point. As they jockey for position, Brashear lands a short left and they wrestle to the ice. Brashear heads off for repairs to his left eye. Goddard heads to the penalty box. Nice fight by both guys. And you know who left disappointed that night? Nobody, because everybody was happy to see that fight. And uh, you got the two heavyweights. Nobody was disappointed. Nobody on either team and nobody in the stands. The concession workers, the parking attendants, everybody who saw the fight was happy. Don't listen to the people who tell you otherwise. November 5th, 2005. We have part one of the Eric Goddard and Brian McGratton trilogy of the 05-06 season. This is the first of three bouts that we get from these two during the season. This was in Ottawa. Two of the fights are in Ottawa. One was at the Coliseum. They square off and grab on with the lefts. They each throw a few rights, but nothing lands. McGratton tries to get the front of Goddard's jersey over his head. He fails at that, but is successful at removing Goddard's lid. Goddard lands a big right and they exchange a right. They exchange. Let me start over. I I get so ahead of myself. It's almost like I'm describing the fights to you and I'm picturing them in my head. So I think my mouth doesn't work as quickly as my brain or vice versa. I don't know. But Goddard lands a big right. And then they each land a right and start to wrestle. McGratton's helmet comes off. And now they're looking to end the fight with a big right, each of them. Some wild punches are thrown by both, and McGratton lands a good one. They continue to exchange rights with McGratton having slightly better success landing. McGratton lands two to Goddard's back while Goddard gets his right arm out of his sleeve, but that's it. Uh, long fight. Both guys are exhausted. Both warriors are done. Fight's over. Ottawa crowd goes nuts. Everybody's pumped. Goddard, you know, Goddard really this year. Uh, and I'll touch on it in a few moments. Uh, fought all the team's heavyweights this year. Um, really didn't take a night off fighting any chumps or anything like that. He fought all the big boys. So, um, you know, good on him this season. We'll move on to November 8th, 2005, at The Rock in New Jersey. Goddard against Darren Langdon. I posted a picture of this fight recently, um, if you've seen it, if you follow me on social media. So, immediately following a Matthias Weinhandel goal, Goddard and Langdon decide to have a go. This was actually Darren Langdon's season debut with the Devils in November. 
Goddard tries to throw three rights, but is thwarted by Langdon, who was one of the best in the business of tying opponents up. Langdon's helmet cut does come off in the exchange, and Goddard's right is still loose, and he throws an uppercut, followed by an overhand right. Goddard throws a right haymaker, which misses, and when he brings his arm back, his momentum takes his helmet off. Langdon throws a left, Goddard a right. At this point, they have each other tied up, so while some punches are being thrown by both, nothing is hitting the mark. Langdon throws a few jersey jabs that connect, and each throw a right or two, and the stripes come in to break them up. Typical Langdon fight, you know, the guy is, uh, guy made a career out of tying his opponents up. He's, most of the time in his fights, he was definitely the smaller guy, and Langdon didn't look at size, he didn't look at name on the back, he took on everybody. And the way he had, the way he lasted so long in his career was he was a master technician, one of the best at tying guys up. Him, Serge Roberge, definitely uh, two of the best in terms of uh, getting other guys uh, tied up in straight jacket. So uh, again, uh, when Langdon has his way in a fight, it's not the most exciting fight, but credit to him, he had a, he had a wonderful NHL career. So that was a typical fight. Now. Part of the reason I decided to do this season for Goddard was this was the first season that uh, Eric Cairns was no longer uh, his tag team partner. Cairns had, uh, well, as you know, the season before was the lockout season. Cairns went over to play in England with the London Racers. And um, Cairns actually signed with Florida. So while there was still some toughness on the Islanders, like Aaron Ashton was still here, um, the Islanders for two seasons had had Goddard and Cairns, and they were pretty formidable, as you may imagine. But uh, one of the reasons why I was interested in going over Goddard's fights from this season is because now he was the undisputed heavyweight on the team. And that being said, he's still Islanders are still in the East, Florida's still in the East. It was inevitable, and it happened on November 19th. Islanders in Florida taking on the Panthers, and we get the Battle of the Erics. Eric Goddard versus Eric Cairns. Former teammates drop the gloves in the Panthers' end. They each grab onto the other guy's collar. Goddard is the aggressor early, throwing two rights and several jersey jabs with the left. Cairns throws several rights of his own, while Goddard throws a wild roundhouse left that misses. Cairns continues to throw rights, while Goddard is still going lefty. Goddard quickly changes his grip and switches back to his right. Goddard looks to have landed a right or two, and Cairns fights back with a couple of lefts and a right. They each throw a final right that misses, and the big boys are out of gas after that super heavyweight bout. Goddard was definitely the aggressor in this, and um, I don't, I can't imagine there wasn't, uh, as far as I know, there wasn't any bad blood. But Goddard was the younger guy in this, and maybe he felt like he had something to prove, taking on. I don't want to say mentor, but maybe maybe Cairns was a mentor to him when uh, when they were both with the Islanders. Cairns had been playing a few years longer than Goddard, and I would I would bet anything that uh, the two had many many chats about fighting and the role and everything. And um, I'm sure that uh, Cairns taught Goddard a lot, uh, you know, and not just physical stuff. So I, I guess. Uh, you always want to you always want to show what you can do against your mentor against the guy that maybe taught you some things so um maybe that's that's what was going on here and uh, but again i don't i don't believe there was any bad blood they chatted a little after the fight and uh, and that was it so uh like i said it was inevitable and i remember watching it and i just was like oh god i don't i don't like this cuz i love both guys so um you know there's a part of me obviously that wanted to see it but then there was a part of me that's going all right i don't want anyone to get hurt so um but both guys live to fight another day. 
Uh, November 25th, 2005. Round two with Brian McGratton. We're back in Ottawa for round two, like I said. They line up off the faceoff, and as soon as the puck is dropped, they square off at center ice. Howie Rose, he took over for Jiggs McDonald, and and you've heard me talk about Jiggs before. Jiggs is, to me, Jiggs and Mike Emmerich are the best in the business, and Jiggs is the voice of my hockey youth. I revere him. I love him. And to be, on, to be fair, um, whoever took over for Jiggs was going to be behind the eight ball with me because it to replace him was going to be tough. And, you know, Howie Rose came from the Rangers. He was a Ranger radio announcer. So there was that. And, you know, but to be fair, I think the biggest knock against Howie Rose was that he wasn't Jiggs. And in my eyes, I'm talking about, but Howie Rose was a good, he was, a, he was a very good play by play guy. I'm not taking anything away from him, but he would say some things from time to time, and he's not alone. A lot of them do this. I, I think a lot of these play-by-play guys, some of them understand the role. Some of them don't understand the role. And Howie Rose called this an appointment fight. And to me, that just sort of minimizes everything about it. You know, just, uh, I don't know. It just rubs me the wrong way when um, people call it, uh, scheduled fights or, uh, meaningless fights or appointment fights. There's a reason for all of this stuff. So that kind of irritated me, but how he called it an appointment fight. It's not the last time he did it this year with Goddard. So, um, ugh, you know, I don't know. Like I said, I, I give Howie Rose credit. Obviously he, he was very good at what he did. Um, but again, his biggest crime from my point of view is that he wasn't jigs and nobody is. So, but you know, when he says stuff like that, it sort of pisses me off, but, uh, back to the fight, they engage in the right star flying from both guys. There really isn't much of a description on this one, except each guy is throwing right-handed bombs, trying to take the other guy's head off. At one point, Goddard mixes it up a bit by throwing some Jersey jabs with his left, but then the right-handed bombs continue briefly until the officials come in to separate the boys. So appointment fight, non-appointment fight, whatever you want to call it. This was Rock'em Sock'em Robots, two big guys who know what their job is trying to take the other guy's head off. So, again, fans in Ottawa entertained, fans at home entertained. Everybody had a good time in this. Maybe not those two guys because uh, I'm sure they each, they each uh, got some lumps out of that. But just two warriors. How could you not love those guys? And they just went at it toe-to-toe, just right-handed bombs from both. Love those guys. December 10th, 2005, we are back on Long Island. The face-off is in the Islanders' end. Well, I should tell you who he fights. This is Islanders versus Oilers. It's big Eric Goddard against big George Larock. The face-off is in the Islanders' end. As the puck is dropped, Goddard and George drop the mitts. Larock grabs on first and initiates with the left. They tie up along the board, and Goddard loses his helmet in the fracas. George starts throwing lefts, and Goddard answers with some rights. George then wrestles Goddard to the ice, and the fight is over. So I like George Larock. Um, I do. There, Some people knock him um, for his lack of aggressiveness. And I guess there's two ways to look at it. George is, uh, I mean, George is a super heavyweight. He's super tough. And I guess if he wasn't the personality that he is, maybe he would have really hurt some guys. Um, but that's the, that's the way he is. That's a, He's a nice guy. And, um, you know, but there are times I think that 
we all wish he was a little more aggressive. And again, that's easy for me to say sitting here because I was never face-to-face with him and he wasn't trying to kill me. But from a fan point of view, I wish he would have been more aggressive. And it seemed like a lot of times once he would get hit, um, the wrestling started. Once he wasn't in control, the wrestling started. But again, I I hate saying it because it sounds like I'm being critical and I don't think I am. I like George Lorock a lot, but uh, I guess it's just um, he for as good as he was, I think he left you wanting more at times. But, you know, he's one of the toughest guys to ever play the game. So, um, but again, he, he's George Lorock. Uh, my opinion on George Lorock means shit. So, but uh, I'm going to give it to you. It's my show. So, um, you know, I, I was a little disappointed in this fight, to be honest with you. Um, the opposite of George LaRock, someone who really never disappointed in a fight, fought Eric Goddard on December 17th, 2005. And that is Brad May, then of the Colorado Avalanche. Goddard lays out John Michael Lyles. And as he's done so many times in his career, Brad May comes in to defend a teammate. Um, I think, uh, who was it? Was it Cody McCormick? kind of went at Goddard and uh, Brad absolutely made a beeline for Goddard. Um, So uh, they grab on and, and I mean, go watch any Brad May fights. Chances are Brad May is the smaller guy in every fight he's in. Not just in stature, not in heart. Uh, Not many guys have a bigger heart than Brad May. Uh, Brad is doing his best to keep Goddard at, at arm's length, but Goddard lands several early, mostly to the helmet. May throws a right that misses, and Goddard throws a few rights, and May's helmet comes off. Goddard looks to have landed several shots to May's head, but May keeps going and throws a left of his own. They look like they may stop, and May throws another right, and Goddard answers with two of his own. They chat at the end. Both are smiling. They're broken up, and they head to the box. I, I am a huge Brad May fan, and I think one of the reasons why I, I am – a fan of his is this fight is a perfect example. Um, Brad May again never never notice like Langdon, usually the smaller guy in the fight never takes note of who it is. Will will fight anybody, and this is a guy that was drafted in the first round and um, hits really hard. <laughs> he really, you know, one thing about Goddard is when he connects, it hurts, and you can say the same thing about Brad May. And, you know, there's there. I think there are plenty of guys drafted around the time that Brad May was drafted, even if they came in with the pedigree that Brad did, a power forward type, that maybe wouldn't have fought as much as Brad did throughout his career, maybe thinking they were too good to fight or whatever. But Brad always found that balance of playing physical and playing, you know, shooting, scoring, hitting, passing. Um, he always found that balance and my respect for Brad May is just immense. And even at this late stage in his career, he's fighting animals like Eric Goddard. And there are younger guys in Colorado that, that could have taken him on, but all Brad May sees is Goddard hitting one of his teammates and he just acts. And I, how could you not love a guy that does that? So, um, but he took a few in this fight, but, uh, didn't go down. And I loved seeing it at the end. The refs break them up, and they're talking to each other. And knowing Brad May, probably said, good job, kid, or something like that. And, 
you know, hopefully Goddard appreciated that, which I'm sure he did. I'm sure Brad's a guy that Eric probably watched growing up. So uh, it was probably a thrill for Eric also to, to hear that coming from a guy like Brad May. So what happened two days later? Not a fight. Eric Goddard in Toronto scored his first NHL goal December 19, 2005. It was a beautiful tip-in of erratic Martinez shot. And first goal, first career NHL goal. And what you should also know is that that goal was the second point, was the, f- uh, let's see how I phrase this, second point, second game in a row with the point. There I go. It only took me five seconds. Second game in a row with the point. Goddard had a two-game point scoring streak. Because in the game that he fought Brad May, he was a goal short of the Gordie Howe hat trick. He had an assist, and he had the fight with Brad May. And then the next game in Toronto, scores a goal. Two-game point scoring streak for the big man. Good for him. See, he can do more than fight. Now, a couple of days before Christmas, an early Christmas gift for the fans of Long Island. And I'm happy to say that even though I was living in Philadelphia at the time, we were at this game at the Coliseum. December 23rd, 2005, round three, the trilogy fight. Brian McGratton, Eric Goddard. This one's for the fans in the U.S. The other two were uh, in Ottawa. Nassau Coliseum is the scene here. While the guys are lined up on opposite sides of the faceoff, once the puck is dropped, and this is actually kind of humorous when you saw the replay, once the puck is dropped, Goddard casually skates over to McGratton's side of the ice to begin the festivities. It was just its just funny to see how the puck's dropped, and McGratton kind of hangs out where he was. Goddard kind of just skates over to where McGratton is just casually. It's just It was just something funny, something funny to see, and if you appreciate the fights, uh, and the the science behind it. I'm sure if you watch that, you'll you'll think it's funny too. Um, they square off at the Ottawa blue line and pretty much pick up where they left off in round two. They just unloaded some hellish rights on each other. They each knock each other's helmet off and just keep throwing. Both are landing some hard shots and they stop and are separated. It's the trilogy fight lived up to expectations. Once in the box, McGratton points to Goddard in, uh, in a show of respect. So, again, there's really not much of a description. Just picture two monsters grabbing on with their lefts and just throwing bombs with their rights, literally trying to decapitate the other guy. It's very similar to round two. Um, kind of fights we all love, and um, that's why there really isn't much of a description. But Goddard and McGratton did not disappoint this season. And um, Goddard had his trilogy with McGratton. He also had a series with uh, another guy who we're going to talk about in a few minutes. Didn't have a three-fight series, had a two-fight series that, again, didn't disappoint. But, you know, another great fight for Eric this year. Uh, Really entertaining. And, you know, I believe, I remember correctly, it was a full house at the Coliseum. Everyone was home from school uh, with Christmas two days away. It was a a packed house for Islanders versus Ottawa. Everybody was pumped. So uh, I remember it like it was yesterday, and I don't remember things that happened yesterday. So first thing that happens in the new year on ice for Eric Goddard, January 6th in Carolina, a very eventful game. Off camera, Justin Williams hits Goddard. I don't know if the hit was clean or dirty. Here's what I do know. Goddard was pissed. He didn't like it, and he skates across the ice and just pumps Williams with a left. Glove was on. It wasn't an ungloved shot. Glove was on, but still, I mean, he, he gave him gave him a good one with the left, and it was a pretty good shot. Um, Williams was down for a little bit. 
They go to commercial. They come back. Goddard's already in the box. And while Williams is making his way to the box, he's chirping Goddard. Now, I again, this is something I've always said about athletes. Um, yeah, we see them as athletes, but they're still men. And in, in any universe, Justin Williams stands zero chance of beating Eric Goddard in a fight. I mean, I guess there's always a chance, but in reality, Goddard should win 10 fights out of 10 against Justin Williams. And I understand that Justin Williams is pissed that he got punched, but it makes me laugh when a guy like Justin Williams chirps a guy like Goddard, when Goddard's in the box and you know he can't do anything. He's not, what's he going to do, come out of the box to beat him up? So it's just, it's just funny when, when a guy like Justin Williams is chirping Goddard, but you know, I guess it just depends on the circumstances. I'm sure if they were out on the ice, he wouldn't be chirping them. But, you know, and again, I'm not taking away anything from Justin Williams. The guy played forever. I believe he won a, a cup or two, I think, I maybe at least one. But guy was always clutching the playoffs. So I'm not shitting on the guy's career. I'm just talking about in this instance, the fact that he's chirping Goddard, it just makes me laugh a little bit. So, of course, the rest of the night, every time Goddard was on the ice, the Kaniacs, they were booing the shit out of him every single time. And uh, as you might imagine, the Kaniacs really got their panties twisted when Eric Goddard put in a beautiful backhand versus Cam Ward. It was a it was a beautiful goal. It was the second and last goal of the season, and it was just great because fans are all pissed at him and everything. And then he goes, and yet, I mean, even if you're even if you hate the guy, or if you're uh, a Carolina fan. And you hated him that night. You didn't even have to admit it was a beautiful goal. So, um, so it was, that was fun to see. But of course, um, there was a price to pay for the punch to Justin Williams, and Goddard was suspended for two games for the punch. Which I guess, if you compare it to what he would get nowadays, which is probably five to ten years in jail, two games isn't so bad. And and like I said, he definitely got his two games worth because even though, like I said, it was a gloved shot, it was a pretty good one too. So his first game back from that two game suspension was January 12, 2006. And in his first game back from the suspension, Goddard ends up fighting a future Islander, a legend in my eyes, Chris Simon, who was a Calgary flame at the time. They square off with Simon looking to go left and Goddard looking to go right. Simon throws a big left that misses and then grabs on as they both reset themselves. As Goddard creates separation, his helmet comes off and he lands a right. Simon answers with several lefts of his own. Goddard withstands the barrage and lands two big rights of his own and Simon goes down. So good fight, quick fight. And uh, Simon, I guess, wasn't done. Uh, He wanted to fight another big boy uh, and uh, in the third period. Chris Simon fought John Erskine, short-term Islander. Love John Erskine. Uh, I've tried to get him on the show. I've sent him a message on social media. I haven't heard back. So John Erskine is also a candidate for one of these seasons episodes down the road. That's for sure. But uh, full marks to Simon taking on the two toughest Islanders that night. Two guys younger than him, and uh, and both killers in their own right. So uh, so good on Simon. Good on Goddard. Good on Johnny Erskine. So. I talked about um, Goddard and McGratton having their trilogy this year, and I, I mentioned that Goddard had a two-fight series with someone, and that someone is Colt Noor. February 2nd, 2006, at the Nassau Coliseum, round one against Colt Noor. And, you know, as I go through some of these DVDs and I watch Colt Noor, 
I don't know what the Rangers were. First of all, I don't know what Boston was thinking, although I think Boston had a glut of toughness at the time. Uh, I think. I'm not positive, but Colt Noor is a bad dude, and I don't know what the Rangers were thinking. I, I don't know. Maybe he got – I know he signed as a free agent with Toronto, so maybe Toronto just offered him a boatload of money. I don't remember. But Or with the Rangers, was he was fucking tough as shit. And, um, you know, I wasn't happy to see him – no, I was happy to see him go, but you know, you you watch the games, you get the Ranger games and everything. He was like one of the few guys I enjoyed watching, but uh, and then of course he ended up in Toronto. That's a whole different kettle of fish. But uh, dude was a killer with the Rangers. Jesus, what a fucking assassin! So round one of the o five o six season comes February second, two thousand six, at the Coliseum. Or and Goddard come together at the benches and have words, but nothing materializes, and they each get two minutes for roughing. So, of course, a little over two minutes later, we have round one. They square off under the big scoreboard at center ice and grab on and start throwing. Again, Howie Rose makes his appointment fight comment. I guess you can't help yourself. These guys are defining the phrase throwing a bad intention. So, the you know, the goddard Orr fights this year were a lot like the goddard McGratton fights, just trying to kill each other, basically. They are throwing bomb after bomb at each other, and eventually Goddard forces Orr down. Both guys landed absolute hammers in this fight. Goddard heads off to the dressing room for repairs. I believe that Orr broke his nose in this bout. And um, I think there was uh, a game or two later, Goddard did an interview in between periods, and uh, he had a black eye. Uh, his left eye was blackened. And uh, when he went off for repairs, he was bleeding pretty good. So I think I think he ended up with a busted nose in this fight. Um, again, there's really not there not much of a scientific description here for you folks. Uh, just picture two guys just trying to kill each other. I mean, the, the Goddard or fights this year, the Goddard McGratton fights again, I keep saying it just rock them, sock them robots. And, um, definitely worth looking for. If you have the DVDs or worth looking for on YouTube, they were just, especially in today's hockey, you don't get fights like this anymore. Here's one of the more peculiar fights that Goddard had this season. March 11th, 2006, in Boston against Hal Gill. Now, everybody who knows Hal Gill knows the dude is a mountain of a man. Not much of a fighter, but he's a big dude. And I guess when you have that size, and if you land one, anything can happen. Now, before the faceoff, Goddard is having words with Travis Green. Now, I know there was a time a few years later in the playoffs. No, this was actually before, a few years before. I'm sorry, early 2000s uh, during that playoff series with uh, Toronto when uh, Cairns busted up Corson. Well, I guess he didn't bust him up. He just beat the tar out of him. Um, and I think it was game seven in Toronto or, or game five where Travis Green is chirping at Jim Cummins in the warm-ups, and they come together, and Cummins is just basically laughing at him, like, what are you going to do? So Green is not above chirping, guys. And um, so I guess he was chirping Goddard. Goddard was saying something back. So, uh, But, of course, everybody knows that Travis Green isn't crazy enough to back up anything he says on the ice. So once the puck is dropped, Gill immediately skates behind Goddard and knocks him over. Obviously, Goddard wasn't going to let that go, so they dropped the gloves. I'm not sure... I'm not sure what the story is here, if Goddard did anything to provoke Gill um, or if it was just having words with Green that Gill decided to step in. But like I said, while Gill is is massive, he isn't much of a fighter. But if it's a case of Gill stepping in for Travis Green, then, you know, full marks to him for doing that. But most of the fight is just really awkward to watch because even though Gill initiated, 
He spent the majority of the fight trying to keep Goddard at arm's length. And if you're not, for a guy that big, and, and I'll use Cairns as an example, Cairns is a guy that's had a million more fights than Hal Gill. But even in some Cairns' early fights, until he until his footwork caught up with his arms and everything, it, it, sometimes it was hard for Cairns, if he didn't get his, his legs planted, sometimes the punches were a little wild. But even on his worst day, he was way better than Gill. And Gill doesn't have the pedigree that Cairns has. So you have a big dude with long arms, long legs, trying to keep a guy out at arm's length, but he's not really trying to throw any punches. And when he does, it's just, like I said, it's just awkward to watch. So he never really tried to mount an offense. A few times where Goddard was the aggressor, he couldn't reach Gill. Gill, Gill's arms are a lot longer than Goddard's. Um, when it appeared that the officials were looking to break them up, Goddard finally saw an opportunity and he landed a right on Gill. Gill answers with an awkward left and basically just tied Goddard up, ties Goddard up and wrestles him down. Um, uh, you know, again, with, with Hal Gill here, um, I give him a ton of credit if he's sticking up for Travis Green, but it, again, it was just, it was just awkward to watch. Like if you're, if you're going to stand up for your teammate, do something, don't just grab a guy and try to, uh, you know, try to wrestle him or whatever. Like I said, it was just weird. But uh, I don't want to, you know, degrade the guy. He actually dropped the gloves where Travis Green wasn't going to do it. But I don't know. It was just weird and very awkward to watch. Someone who was not awkward to watch fought Eric Goddard on March 25th, 2006 at the Nassau Coliseum. And that is another future Islander and an Eric, Eric Bolton, who was at the time an Atlanta uh, treasure. An Atlanta Thrasher. So here we have another example of a fight where Goddard takes on a future Islander. This time it's Eric Bolton. Bolton hits. So you heard me mention Matias Weinhandel earlier. Here's an even more obscure name from the past, from Islander past. Bolton hits Dennis Grabeshkov, and Goddard goes looking for revenge. They tie up along the boards, and Bolton initiates with two big rights that miss. As they both try to gain position, Bolton throws four or five of these quick, sneaky body shots while Goddard attempts to throw from over top. They both have each other at arm's length, but Bolton has a grip on the back of Goddard's jersey using that left arm to keep Goddard at distance, but also using it to bend Goddard a little bit forward and throw some massive uppercuts. It's hard to explain, but if you go back and watch the fight, it really is scientific what Goddard did, the way that he grabbed Goddard. So he grabbed and got, and Bolton's a strong guy. So he's grabbing him. He's holding him off. He's grabbing him by the back, by the, the nameplate on the back of Goddard's jersey. And if he, if Bolton leans forward, he's going to get Goddard to lean forward a little bit. And when he does, he just starts unloading with these vicious, vicious left uppercuts. He throws five of these. And because Goddard was facing the boards, it's hard to tell how many landed, but you'd have to think a couple landed. Goddard doesn't go down. He continues to throw some overhand rights, but Bolton, Bolton's putting on a clinic here in terms of holding a guy off. And Bolton, one of the smarter guys, and again, not as big as a lot of his opponents, like Brad May, like Darren Langdon. So he's got it, you know, and Bolton is powerful. But again, stature-wise, not as big. So he's got to use all the tools in the toolbox. And like I said, he's putting on a clinic here of keeping Goddard away. Bolton throws two more punches, one to the back of Goddard's helmet, and one that misses, and they're broken up. Goddard received an instigator in a misconduct. I think it was a cheap instigator because um, 
they dropped the gloves at the same time. So yeah, Goddard went looking for Bolton, but it wasn't that he dropped the gloves and grabbed Bolton and then Bolton dropped the gloves. Bolton was uh, Bolton smart. He knew after he hit Grabeshkov that someone was coming for him. He saw Goddard coming his way, and they basically dropped the gloves at the same time. Uh, to me, it was a garbage instigator. Um, but you know, again, that's what they do, trying to curtail everything here. So uh, um, definitely not a fan of that call. So I mentioned in the intro that Goddard had was a part of 14 fights this year, but only got 13 fighting majors. And that's because on March 28th, 2006, in Montreal, Eric Goddard tripped up Cristobal Huey. I think it's Cristobal Huey. Is it Hewitt? I don't remember how he said his name, but I'm going to say Cristobal Huey. He tripped him up as he was going around the net. Commissaric grabs got Mike Commissaric. I think Long Island's own Mike Commissaric. Grabs Goddard, starts throwing punches. Goddard doesn't drop his gloves at all, just covers up. And um, Commissaric received an instigator, two for instigating, five for fighting, a 10-minute misconduct, and a game misconduct. Goddard got two for roughing, and to be honest with you, I watched the fight a bunch of times. Um, no idea how Goddard got anything. He didn't do anything. He, did, he wouldn't have got roughing. For Cristobal Huey, if anything, maybe they give him tripping, but he didn't rough up Huey, and uh, he definitely didn't rough up Commissaric. So you know, it's a, again, it's a ridiculous two minute penalty on uh, on Goddard for this. But Islanders ended up with a big power play, and unfortunately, since I did my research on this, they did not score on that power play. But uh, this was the one fight this year where the opponent got a fighting penalty, and Goddard did not. So that's why he was involved in 14 fights, but only got 13 um, majors for fighting this year. The final fight of the year was round two against Colton Orr. Again, the scene is Nassau Coliseum, March 29th, 2006. I have a third name for you, a third Islander that you probably haven't thought about in well over a decade. First, we had Matthias Weinhandel. Then I threw Dennis Grabeshkov at you. And now for the hat trick, Pateri Nokalainen. So Pateri Nokalainen and Goddard crush Darius Kasparaitis behind the net. So Colton Orr does what a good teammate does, and he goes looking for revenge. And he also does what a man does. He could go after Nokalainen, or he can go after Goddard, and it's Colton Orr. So, of course, he goes after Eric Goddard. Either that or he wanted no part of Pateri Nokalainen. I don't know. I mean, maybe Nokalainen is a ninja back home wherever he's from. But uh, I believe it was just Colton Orr going after the bigger boy and Goddard. Round two ensues. Goddard throwing four big rights, one of which lands. Then Orr took over. Orr throws four or five of his own. One lands right on the button, and Goddard goes down, and the fight's over. And uh, Colton Orr. Um, similar to Chris Simon later in the game fought John Erskine. So that is it as far as the 2005-2006 goes for Eric Goddard. Eric did uh, a great job in 05-06. Like I said, he was the primary enforcer. Uh, I mean, listen, there probably isn't a better shotgun guy to have as far as a middleweight goes and Aaron Asham, especially because Aaron Asham fought everybody too. Um, body of a middleweight, mind of a heavyweight, and uh, you know Asham has a ton of power. So having a guy like Asham when uh, Goddard sort of gets promoted to the uh, premier heavyweight on the team definitely helps. But, 
you know, for a young guy like Goddard, having Cairns there the two previous years, I'm sure that that helped him out a lot. But now you step up and now you're the guy. So when in the previous two years, if you have a heavyweight looking to start something, he has to pick between Cairns and Goddard. Now, if he wants to start something, he's got Goddard and Goddard answered the bell all season. Uh, just that one thing against Commissarek. I really don't know uh, what the story was with that. But uh, I think, listen, I, I think we can all agree that if the the two square off Goddard's going to put Commissarek down. Uh, so I don't know if that was him showing mercy, if his hands were hurt. I don't really know. But uh, that was definitely not Goddard uh, shying away from Commissarek. I'm sure there was a story behind that. And maybe it was just him trying to get the power play for the team or the coach told him not to do it. I don't know. But um, Goddard answered the bell in 05-06 like he always does. Like, well, like he always did. He hasn't played in a while. But um, really, to me, Goddard is definitely in my top 10. I generally have him slotted around 7 Um I don't really, uh, obviously, well, I was going to say, obviously, no one is going to crack the top six, but you know what? You never know. I mean, Ross Johnson definitely has the potential um, to do that. I just don't know if he'll get the opportunities. So I don't want to say that nobody will ever crack the top six, but with the way the game is, I just, uh, Johnston's certainly tough enough. I just don't know if he'll get the opportunities. Generally, um, you know, I got the three, uh, the three classics, Nystrom, Gillies, Howitt in my top six. And then I got Mick and Bomber um, and Eric Cairns in my top six. So those those guys are pretty much not, you know, they're, they're solidified in the top six. Uh, put them in whatever order you want. But uh, as far as my top six Islander guys go, those are my top six. I generally have uh, Goddard and Trevor Gillies, seven and eight. Uh, you can interchange those guys. Um, depending on uh, what what you like better, if you like one guy better than the other, but uh, generally my top six is who it is, and seven and eight are almost definitely uh, Trevor Gillies, Eric Goddard. So um, Goddard, uh, and and it's funny because they're really different guys. Like Trevor Gillies is um, he's this presence, he's this personality, he's this guy with this mustache, and he's just this animal. He's just this maniac, and uh, he's really intimidating. He's an intimidating guy where Goddard is intimidating, but he's much more low key. So um, it, it's, it would have been interesting if those two guys would have played together uh, with their, their contrasting personalities. I mean, that would have been an unbelievable tag team, right? But, uh, but you know, Goddard is definitely a top 10 Islander fighter, even though he only played a little over a hundred games to the team. Uh, very, very tough guy. And, um, you know, like I said, I'm glad that things worked out with Florida the way it did where they had too many guys to put in Louisville and they ended up uh, sending Goddard to Bridgeport. And uh, it's one of the things that I think Milbury was still here. Yeah, he, I think he was still here. So it's one of the things that Milbury did. And, you know, I don't like to give him too much credit for anything, but um, gave up a third-round pick for Goddard. And I'm sure some people will say, oh, my God, a third-round pick for a guy. But I, I think it was worth it. And, um, you know, he had some real memorable times here. So – um, that is going to do it for my Eric Goddard seasons episode. I will leave you with this Eric Goddard's NHL career. So for those people out there who want to criticize Eric Goddard and say, he can't play or he can only do this. He can only do that for a guy who couldn't play. Eric Goddard played 335 career NHL games, had six goals, 12 assists, 18 points. And what does that mean? That means that Eric Goddard had six goals, 12 assists and 18 points more than every single person who criticizes him. 
So that's the one thing that everybody has in common that criticizes him. They have zero games played and they don't have any points. So Goddard had 18 points more than every single person who has some bullshit to say about him. And in 335 games, Goddard had 833 penalty minutes and 83 fights. Again, that the fight numbers are always, you know, they might be off by a fight or two because sometimes the, the sites aren't the most reliable, but you know, 833 penalty minutes is reliable. And let's just say he was somewhere between 82 and 85 career fights. And, uh, fortunately, uh, 34 of them, I believe I said, now I'm going to scroll up and just verify that uh, 34 of those fights were with the Islanders. So um, again, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you people found this entertaining. I know you're probably going nuts thinking that I have an episode that's under an hour and 20 minutes uh, because this is usually where I'm just starting to get warmed up. But um, for the season's episodes, uh, unless there was like a lot of backstories, like with the Cairns episode where he had a lot of shit going on with the Rangers and Sandy McCarthy, um, you know, Goddard really didn't have a lot of backstories with anybody. So there really wasn't much controversy or um, animosity, even like a guy like McGratton that he fought three times. There really wasn't any animosity there. It was just respect. And I'm sure it was the same thing with Colt Noor. So um, there really wasn't much of a backstory on a lot of these fights. So that's why the episode is, uh, is short. I hope that, uh, you can adjust to that. Like I said, usually around this time, you're just, I'm just getting warmed up. I'm probably asking my fourth question, but, uh, but anyway, this is a real thrill bringing, uh, the Eric Goddard 2005, six season to you now next week. Um, well, I guess, <laughs> I guess we'll see if I've advanced at all technologically, uh, I will tell you right now, I am going to attempt to actually have two guys on the phone, two guys on Skype, uh, and, uh, do an interview about their time when they played together. I'm not saying who I'm not saying where I'm not saying when, because this all hinges the, I'll get both of these guys. Both of these guys are very reliable. And if they say they are going to do an interview, not only will they do it, they will show up at the time they say, but this hinges on me. This hinges on my ability to actually do a three-way Skype. Now, insert your own joke there, but in all, in all seriousness, I'm lucky I can get someone on the phone via Skype. Now I got to get two guys on at the same time. So um, hopefully that'll come true. And uh, if not, I don't know what I'm going to do next week, but, but I'm really looking forward to doing this episode. So uh, stay tuned for that one. Um, everybody, have a great week and stay safe. And uh, that's it. Keep your chin down and your hands up. Talk to you next week. Bye.